It's or like, like the, the it's like chin the same facial hair of like a juggalo. It's like that. <laughs> you, you said a juggalo, but I was thinking of something like like the singer of Theory of a Dead Man or something. Yeah, yeah. Well, I feel like those things aren't too far removed from each other. <laughs> oh, I think I have a lot more respect for juggalos. Oh, dang. <laughs> Say what you want about juggalos, but they are a pretty damn inclusive community. That's that's my theory of a dead man. You just killed that guy. You just murdered him. <laughs> <laughs> juggalos are all about family. No, whoop, for whoop. real, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're like really inclusive and shit. That's really cool. Is there not a greater act of solidarity than going to the porta potties and pulling out piss and shit to throw at Tila Tequila to get her off the stage. <laughs> I uh, that's, that is class I, solidarity. I think right that there. Uh, I that think real? that Violent J actually had one of the better, uh, I guess like messages about his old problematic lyrics and shit. Uh, yeah, I mean it's I mean it's no secret that ICP was always really vulgar and right you know, whatever but like he, he had a, a post that he put on social media or maybe it was like an interview i don't remember a couple weeks ago or actually at this point it was probably a couple months ago it was like within the last year but he right. said he was talking to his daughter about it and his daughter had pretty much asked him like you know what do i say to like people that like bring up that like my dad said these things and he was like straight up do not defend me tell them i was an idiot tell them i didn't know better like it you can I could make up all the all the excuses that I wanted about it being the '90s and whatever, but when it comes down to it, I was just a young idiot that didn't know better. And, right. You know, like it's I like know the, that now. But it's like the uh, Warner Brothers thing that they put in front of like their older problematic cartoons. They're like, "Yeah, yep, this was wrong, and it's always been wrong." But you know, here it is. <laughs> yeah, like the the old old animations from like the 20s and 30s. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where, As like, opposed every... to like Disney, who just like scrubs it from the planet, is like, what do you mean? We never did that. <laughs> Song of the South. What are you talking about? I uh, I actually don't have much info on that. Oh, Song of the South was real bad. That was like it's bad. I think it was supposed to be like an Uncle Tom type character, but it was basically Uh-oh. like you know, singing like slave spirituals and stuff like that with like little animated birds. I think Zippity Doodah was a big one. Uh, I remember. I know I didn't see Song of the South. Like the whole thing, but I think there was like a, a VHS tape compilation of a different, a bunch of different ones, and Zippity Doodah was on there. But uh, yeah, Disney has uh, some pretty uh, problematic stuff from the olden days. I will say. Speaking of spooky things from yesteryear, oh, I guess I should introduce the show. What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to episode 46 of Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, Something Brewed. 
Yes, your eyes are reading that correctly. This is the third episode to be dropped in October, where previously we had gone like two months of radio silence before any fresh content. This time we pulled out all the stops. We're doing it. We've got three episodes in October, and this is the third annual Halloween Spectacular. I feel I feel like in the time that we spoke last, I didn't actually verify if I did a Halloween episode last year or not. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and say this is the third Halloween Spectacular. We're uh, bringing it back to the traditional format of the show, kind of. Uh, I guess it's two something olds and then something fairly recent. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back to the stew, the pod room. Uh, a double dose of Ben. Ben's, how you doing? I'm good. How's, how are you? How are you both? I'm, I'm chilling, you know. How we do? Uh, yeah, I uh, I've got a little bit of a cold. If you can't tell, I've got my NPR voice going. It's really fun getting like kind of a cold during like a, a pandemic where like a lot of the symptoms are similar to a cold. It's uh, right. it's super great and normal, and I love every second of my life right now. <laughs> am I regular sick, or am I going to kill all, everybody I love? Right, exactly. And it's like, I don't really have the shortness of breath. I don't have a fever. It's just like an annoying sore throat, and like that that's pretty much it, and like a runny nose. So I, th- I think I'm good. I think I'm in the clear. But uh, Can you smell? Uh, So that's been diminished. Smell and taste are like... Maybe about forty percent, which kind of sucks. Oh, I, shit, think that's a, I think that's a cold thing, also. Do you, have you gotten swabbed? Uh no. Oh. <laughs> that might be. Next I've heard like some people it. say that the swab isn't as bad as it sounds, <laughs> and I've heard other people say that it gave them a migraine for two days. So. Oh God, that sounds awful. I mean, what, what's the what's the turnaround on uh, results these days? It's a couple uh, days. Yeah, a couple of days. Yeah, I I haven't well, I haven't been tested myself, so I've been swabbed twice for COVID, and I will tell you, it's not the worst swab I've ever had. Oh, that's good. It's comforting. That makes but me I, want to know what is the worst swab you've ever had. No, it's a kids <laughs> show. On a, on a different <laughs> podcast, we can talk about that. Oh no, was it the poop deck? Did you swab the poop deck? Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess. So, do you guys just want to go in order of like year in terms of like oldest to newest? Or I don't sure. Know which, yeah, we, we can like, do that. Or like we can just introduce our album and then kind of explain why we chose it. I mean, so. Like, oh, I don't talks... think those are mutually exclusive. So. <laughs> well, when we talked about Black Sabbath, we kind of ended the conversation with like spooky halloween albums that we like listen to like sort of traditional and uh i feel like that was like a good little nugget of conversation and we were like oh we should actually do like another episode about those albums so uh that's what this is uh i guess i'll go first so this is an album that i listened to a lot of in high school as with a lot of like my classic rock period but uh, i'm talking about welcome to my nightmare the 1975 alice cooper album Man, I was listening to this today, and uh, there's some there's some heaters on this album. Some really yeah, I, I listened to it once yesterday and once today. It was it was it's good stuff, man. Totally. 
so I mean the 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 first track, "Welcome to My Nightmare," I love it when it, it the first song on the album sets the stage. It's also like the name of the album, which is pretty sweet. Um, so this is like a bit of a different direction that Alice Cooper took as well. Like this is the first technically solo album of his, which I think there was like a little bit of. Uh, it wasn't exactly a clean break because I know um, the the previous band members that he worked with uh, made another band and continued to make music. I think I don't know if they were called like the Billion Dollar Babies or or, or something like that, but I don't think that they were happy with basically being ditched by Alice Cooper. Like the mothers. What's that? Kind of like the mothers. Yeah. They're like, you know, we had a, we had a good thing going and now uh, you're doing stuff with, with Lou Reed's band and, and Vincent Price. Yeah. Did you know we get uh, to keep getting paid? (laughs) Sorry. uh, Did you know that the, um, when they got signed to a record label, it was actually, uh, they had auditioned for, I think it was Frank Zappa actually. Yeah. Yep, and uh, and they it was something like they he told him to show up at seven o'clock and they they mistook it for seven in the morning, but yeah. he was actually like impressed that they all showed up ready to do it at seven a.m. Right? Yeah, I think I think Frank talks about that in his book. Uh, I'm trying I, to imagine auditioning to impress Frank Zappa. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> uh, Frank Frank had his own label at the time. And I think it was, oh, I'm trying to, it was like Bizarre Records. There was like Straight mm-hmm. and Bizarre. And yeah, yeah. I, so I think, what was uh Pretties for You? First Alice Cooper album? Yeah. I feel like just playing Welcome to My Nightmare would probably be a good way to set the stage. Yeah, I, I don't think you can get a better, <laughs> a better. It's, it's great, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like a 12 string. Yeah, I think the one in the background is. That does the arpeggio. Maybe like they did that thing where like they ran the acoustic guitar through um, like a chorus to get that sort of like flangey effect. Oh, I love the bass. I feel like there are multiple points on this album that really highlights like Alice Cooper's vocal range. Like you've got the classic like sort of like angry Alice Cooper, like the more like driving hard rock version. But like songs like this, and then I think on Steven, he goes like deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more you know intimate sounding. Kind of got kind of got a lot going on in that first track. Like you got this moody you know acoustic intro with like some really cool like descending bass harmony stuff going on and then it kind of shifts into like like it almost has like a disco quality to it yeah and there's there's a lot of spots where i don't later on in the song where these like horns come in a little bit more prominently and it almost feels like uh jazzy kind of yeah, and I feel like it's a sound that really wasn't previously experimented with with like other Alice Cooper albums before it. I could I could be entirely wrong on that because I, I feel like I'm more familiar with like this era of Alice Cooper than a lot of like the earlier earlier stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty familiar with like 
schools out and billion dollar babies but uh after anything earlier than that like i know a few songs here and there uh but other other than that i I actually don't even know if i know anything off pretties for you (laughs) now that i sit here and i actually think about it but uh i think love it to death had i'm 18 which was of course a big i think that was like their first big hit you know vietnam protest song uh, after that, they had like "Under My Wheels," which is a big one. But then, the, then you're into you're into "Schools Out" and you're into "No More Mr. Nice Guy" and and stuff. They started hitting those singles a little bit more prominently, and then uh, and then they just kind of well, you know, the solo the solo stuff happened. <laughs> right. I really like the guitar tone in the intro. Oh yeah, yeah. You can definitely tell. Uh, I don't know if. Bob Ezrin worked on their previous albums, but that's a name that I see pop up all the time. Like this dude's like LinkedIn, if he had one would be, you know, Lou Reed, Alice Cooper, Kiss, Pink Floyd, Deep Purple, Peter Gabriel, Fish. And then Bob Ezrin was producer and like co-writer for a I think like 10 or 12 Alice Cooper albums. He's. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Oh Love to yeah. death, killer. Both both out. the band yeah. and solo act, like all over the place. Man, this dude's this dude's sheet rap sheet or whatever is huge and diverse too. Like, oh, he was he produced uh, several Kiss albums too, <laughs> and Pink Floyd co-produced The Wall. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of everywhere. He's an in-demand kind of guy. Yeah, clearly. So this is like a this is like a concept album, right? Yeah, this the character's name is Steven. Which I, I feel like the concept album doesn't really kick in until the song Steven, like kind of near the back half of the album. Um I think it kind of hints at it here and there. Uh I think yeah, the the last three songs, uh, Stephen, The Awakening, and Escape, are. I just I think that's the most memorable for me. Uh, so for me, like, okay, so the intro is obviously like fantastic, right? Um, the second side of the album starts with Department of Youth, which I think was the f- the first single off the album. But also, when I way back when, way back yonder, when I was a wee lad. Uh, learning guitar and whatnot. So like 2006-ish, uh, I had the Alice Cooper live album, uh, like Live for Montro. Okay. And he opens the show with Department of Youth. And I, from listening to that a lot as a kid, uh, that song like sticks out for me a lot. But yeah, like Steven, I think is like, it's it might be the highlight of the album for me, honestly. Like it's this, creepy like it it sounds like it's taken straight out of like any like 70s horror movie basically i have i took some notes and i was like steven sounds like the intro to like john carpenter's halloween or like yeah no that's exactly what i thought about because halloween is from like 1978 i just i just watched that again like a few weeks ago and that's exactly what i thought of it yeah it's it's got this awesome cool creepy piano intro that comes to this like just like huge huge like 
uh, like chorus section of the song later on. That's just like so such a good peak to the album, basically. Right. Uh, one thing that I do want to super say, spooky, it's so memorable. Yeah, it's it's very it's very spooky. Uh, one thing, just circling back to Department of Youth, uh, near the fade out of that song, it still gets a laugh out of me when he's like talking to the like the, the children chorus. And he's just like, uh, 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 he's like, who's got the power? And they're like, we do. And then as it's fading out, he says, and who gave it to you? And the kids are like, Donnie Osmond. And he's like, what? It never fails to like get me with a gut laugh every time I hear that. It's so good. But yeah, let's, let's throw in a clip of Steven uh, from Alice Cooper's Welcome to My Nightmare. Even like the little staccato like violin hits yeah dude i think he's singing like in character as steven right oh yeah who's like i think a kid right the return of the like 12 string guitar too i also always i feel like this song kind of sounds like a song from a musical it feels oh, like yeah. it's part of a story and it's like a, i can see like characters on a stage singing you know Oh, absolutely. I think that's intentional, too. So I think, actually, the song before this um, has more of, like, the sort of, like, I guess, backstory with Steven. Uh, the song, Years Ago, um, it, 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 there's a part of that song that still to this day, like, is terrifying to me. That Steven voice reminds me a lot of Gregory Peckery. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah, this is the song. Uh, years ago, uh, when it's like he's sort of having this uh, uh, dilemma where he's, you know, trying to retain being like a little kid versus like having to be an adult with responsibilities. Pathetic little, like little kid trying to whistle. All my toys are broken. But I love the part. He's like, "No, I'm a great big man."
this part coming up is like genuinely chilling to me. This part right here. Oh man, I don't know. I love that. That's like if that's not Halloween, I don't know what is. Like the way that both of their voices are like, isn't that our mom calling? Yeah, this is really good. It's got that. Uh, I don't remember the word for like where the guitars do like the. It's like the, like some sort of like three over four time with like the, the notes that it hits where it hits like the root note and then the upper part twice. Uh, it's almost got like a waltz. Uh, there's a word for it. I, you know, I'm blanking, but. <laughs> It almost yeah. feels like I don't want to say like a waltz kind of thing, but uh, almost like an almost waltz. But I feel like that it does a really good job of like almost like painting a picture with with like the stereo field, just like the sounds of what it sounds like a TV just kind of babbling in the background, and like the synthesizer like circus tones. Just it's very like off kilter and unsettling, and then it you know that goes from years ago into Steven, the awakening and escape. And it's like, I feel like it's the perfect closer for like, you're sitting in a room with all of your friends and you put like side two of welcome to my nightmare on. And it's like Halloween night. So that, that's my recommendation for this album. I know we got two more to uh, get to. So, uh, fellas, any, I guess, closing thoughts on this, on this record or, uh, any other are you at all familiar with welcome to my nightmare the sequel <laughs> the so... sequel the to welcome to nightmare <laughs> welcome to jungle uh yeah no i i actually haven't listened to it i've heard it's good yeah you know what man i i keep thinking in my head that like when i think of the new alice cooper album i still think of along came a spider and welcome to my nightmare and those are now 12 and nine years old yeah yeah, I think but I yeah, I did Cooper. hear "Welcome to My Nightmare" was pretty good, but I think I saw the Black Spider tour actually in two thousand eight, which doesn't feel like it was that long ago, but it was. Looking at the track <laughs> list right now for "Welcome to My Nightmare," and there's guest appearances from Rob Zombie <laughs> and Kesha and Vince Gill, country uh, country singer songwriter. Vince Gill is on there twice. Wow. Oh, John Five. Oh, John Five. Yeah. Which I will say, Vince Gill is like a phenomenal guitar player. Yeah. A lot. A lot of those country guys are. But what drives a good guitar player to be a country singer? You know, I I wish I, I wish. Well, I as long as it's you know, if it's good country. If if Brad, good country. If Brad Paisley just stopped doing whatever his like. Friday night lights, Bud Light drinking, whatever stuff, and just put out more albums like the instrumental album he did, like way back in the mid two thousands. Pete, oh, I, I would be the biggest Brad Paisley fan. Dude, he's a killer guitarist, absolutely. All right, well, for my arbitrary rating for "Welcome to My Nightmare," I'll, I'll say this. I think the back half is where the album really, really shines. But there's some, honestly, there's some good, just good rock and roll stuff. Uh, Only Women Bleed is like a great ballad. Yeah, that that um, was like one of the like huge '70s ballad. Um, yeah, the whole thing really is just super cinematic, super like you could see this as a stage play. 
Yeah, the whole album has a, a really good flow to it, which is a really important thing for a concept album to have. Yeah, like the flow between Years Ago and Steven and The Awakening, I think that's kind of what clinches it for me, is like the way that those songs just, you know, go right into each other. Uh, so I, right, I'm, right. I'm going to give this album a welcome seven to my nightmare out of welcome ten to my nightmare. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the welcome, yeah. <laughs> welcome well, seven, my nightmare. Welcome seven, my nightmare. Welcome seven zero, like in the the sevens, like a like a T, like. Yeah. It's just, oh yeah. boo! <laughs> <laughs> boo! <laughs> All right, moving on. We've got another spooky album from the 80s hell yeah the early 80s yeah so i wanted to talk about um i know during our little nugget of conversation at the end of the last one that i was on i had mentioned danzig's first album but i pivoted a bit i still love that album and i would still recommend it to anybody who likes spooky metal but i'm gonna pivot and i'm gonna talk about Ozzy Osbourne's second solo album, Diary of a Madman. Uh, I know that his his first album was the bigger one, you know, the big singles. It's got Mr. Crowley and Crazy Train. And and, I mean, Mr. Crowley is a perfect Halloween spooky song, for sure. Uh, I mean, you listen to that song and it's got like the creepy organ and it's, it's fantastic. But as a whole, I think his first album doesn't really feel that that spooky or menacing it's just kind of like a few songs here and there uh diary of a madman i think and uh, i prefer this album in general i do think it's a stronger album throughout than blizzard of oz is uh but particularly after a few songs in i feel like it really does encapsulate this like creepy kind of like scary classical metal music like kind of vibe um it the album did have a couple singles uh over the mountain and flying high again the first two songs were i think at least flying high again was pretty decently big but uh uh one of the things that i really love about this album is that you really get to see or you really get to hear especially in the title track uh so this is the last album that had uh randy rhodes on guitar prior to his passing away in an airplane accident while on tour for it. And Randy Rhodes is, he might not be my favorite guitarist of all time, but he is like top three. And if, if I were to sit there and debate who I think maybe like the best is, he is in that conversation for me. He was an absolute legend and he had a, uh, like a classical guitar background uh when he was growing up he learned how to play like you know like nylon string classical acoustic guitar and that influence just like bleeds into all of his work with ozzy except it's from it's playing metal music so it's got that this vibe of almost like a like a dark gothic like gothic architecture and like satanic vibes kind of thing with it, it it kind of permeates like everything that he does or did with ozzy and uh 
I, I think that's really it shows up in a few places in the first album there's the acoustic track d which is just a, a nice little minute long tribute to his mom and that's a little classical guitar piece but on this album i think you see a lot more of that influence and it shows up a lot in the back half um yeah let's so, uh let's jump into something real quick just to kind of get sure. that, get that vibe so uh Normally, I would kind of say start with one of the, the singles, but I don't think the singles really encapsulate that vibe that I'm talking about. Uh, so I think the first song that I'd like to dive into would be Believer. I think Believer is the first song on the album that really starts giving me that vibe that I'm, that I'm looking for here. Okay, spooky. Spooky already. got that devil's note going on <laughs> you know this isn't this isn't meant as like a criticism but it is kind of funny like hearing what was considered you know like the heaviest of heavy back in the day and it's just like this kind of just sounds like a boss metal guitar stomp box and it's like i guess comparatively speaking it's almost like a little dorky sounding but uh i, li- I like it yeah, sure. Yeah, it starts off with almost like the it's almost like a marching kind of vibe with that bass that's just doing the octaves like on the on the beat. Yeah. It, and then it lets you do that. And then when the it play, gets to the main riff and then when Ozzy's vocals come in, you can hear the guitar riff kind of like speeds up and gets a little more complicated. Yeah, once again, no uh no harmony vocals on Ozzy, just uh doubling. Nope. <laughs> don't need, he doesn't need harmonies. While I was looking up this album, though, I didn't realize that there was so much controversy around it. Uh, yeah, I think it had something to do with the bass and drum tracks that got like redone on like a reissue, and I think that yeah. I think it was for this album and Diary. I think, or sorry, and Blizzard. I thought so, it was the first two albums. So from what I read, it was the credits were given to bassist Rudy Sarzo and uh, the drummer Tommy Aldridge. And I think those two guys were the drummers on the tour, but in the studio it was actually um, two completely different people. Um, the drummer Lee Kearslake was on this, which I I saw that name, and uh, he was the drummer for Uriah Heep. If you've ever heard of them, they're like old school classic set. I feel like they don't really have the same spot in history as like Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath do, but I think Uriah Heep in terms of like musicianship is easily of that same caliber. They had a few big hits, but nothing, you know, that really put them into like the public zeitgeist, like Ozzy and like the rest of them. What's, what's a Uriah Heap song that everybody knows? Uh, look at yourself was one of them. Stealing was another one. Um, I, I, I almost thought that you would have known uh, about Uriah Heap. Easy living was one of the big songs. The wizard. Yeah, I do. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Oh, you're. Oh, I see what you're doing now. I just uh, like I can't think of any songs off the top of my head. Right. Um. Yeah. Stealing, easy living were two big ones. But I feel like Uriah Heep was like on the on the brink of like progressive rock before it really was progressive rock. I don't know. That's, that's a divulgence. But yeah, I, I guess they won a lawsuit against Sharon Osbourne too. <laughs> Yeah, because, Jesus. Yeah, because they re-released the album in like 2002, and they just straight up 
recorded different bass and drums and i think it's because they didn't want to like pay royalties or something which is very shady incredibly shady move it looks like it was uh rob trujillo and oh sorry rob trujillo and mob or mike borden rob rob is the he was the bassist for metallica (laughs) or he's he is the current bassist of metallica i think yeah since 2003 so actually it was right before he joined metallica Oh that's, man, that's pretty. That's pretty funny, uh, man. You know that makes me wonder. Like, I wonder if the version that I've known growing up, like, is the reissue or if it's that the original. So when I downloaded it on Apple Music, it says "Diary of a Madman" (parentheses remastered original recording). So I, I think I've got the true and honest "Diary of a Madman," but it did make me want to like seek out. Um, like the the re the re-recording and just to hear what that sounds like yeah yeah i'd like to hear the difference because like if you're if you're you know asked to re-record drum parts on like an iconic classic album like are you just gonna do exactly what the original recording did are you gonna come up with your own thing right right yeah totally huh yeah i totally forgotten about that Another Zappa, Zappa sort of uh, connection that yeah. he did that with. Uh, we're only in it for the money, and I think another cruising. album too. Where I, think, I thought it was cruising with Ruben on the Jets. Drums. Like I think in the eighties he remastered cruising with Ruben in the Jets, and he did it with like because I feel like I've seen it re- referred to as like the eighties drums, and like there was like a huge backlash, and there's like two different versions now, and. Yeah, given how drums like really popularly were like mixed and produced in the eighties, that wouldn't surprise me if there was a pretty big difference. Although I don't know, because these albums were from eighty and eighty one, and I don't know really how much the industry had gotten into that like huge stadium reverb drums yet, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know. I would be interested to hear it though, so that'd be cool. Oh Ben, you were right. Uh in 84, Zappa prepared a remix of Cruising with Ruben and the Jets for its compact disc reissue. Uh, the remix featured new rhythm tracks recorded by bassist Arthur Barrow and drummer Chad Wackerman, much as the 1984 remix of We're Only In It for the Money had featured. Uh, Zappa stated the master tapes for Ruben and the Jets were in better shape, but since I liked the results on We're Only In It for the Money, I decided to do it on Ruben too. But that's the, the those are the only two albums on which the original performances were replaced. I thought the important thing was the material itself. Interesting. Yeah, immediately a lawsuit was filed by the original drummers from from like the Mother's era. Oh my god, that's yeah, that's so Jimmy funny. Carl like, Black. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, it, that's such a weird thing to just like take your original recordings and like re-record. Like, I don't know. Think of a different... He George Lucas them. (laughs) (laughs) Just adds, like, unnecessary, like, uh, uh, like percussion and horns and, like... You've got, like, the the curse, like, shot first version. And then you've got the the, the Ozzy shot first version. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, wow, no. Uh, yeah, so I don't I don't want to spend too much I guess too much time on it. Um, if I if I could make you listen to every song on this, I would. <laughs> but I I think the album really peaks 
uh, with the last track, with the title track, Diary of a Madman, because it really, like, it really encapsulates everything about, like, the Randy Rhodes Ozzy sound. It, it's it got the cool acoustic, like, classical kind of guitar stuff in it. It's got, like, the the really big, like, shredding, like, guitar solos and stuff. It's got, it has it all. And I, it's probably my favorite Ozzy Osbourne song, straight up. It's All fantastic. Right. Here's a little bit of Diary of a Madman. This almost makes me think of like Street Spirit Fade Out by Radiohead. Yeah, no, I totally hear that. <laughs> I, I think they're in the same key. Yeah, this is very cinematic. This isn't a weird time signature, too, which I love. At least that section was. Yeah, almost sounds like a 6-8 or like a 9-8. Or maybe 7-something. I'm really bad at sussing out time signatures. Like, I'm always trying to be like, 1-2-1-2-1-2-3-1-2-1-2-3, like that kind of thing, and I'm not, I can never figure it out. Like, you can hear a lot of it is in like 3-4 in, in yeah. parts, for sure. A lot of triplets. I think this is in 7-4 right here, actually. Yeah, I mean, this has, like, some prog rock elements to it as well. Like, it's got these little yeah. interludes, different sections. I know you don't want to spend, like, the whole time on this song, but uh, for the sake of at least you guys listening to it... Oh, God, I wish I could just listen to the whole thing, but, like, the song's <laughs> crescendo at, like... It's, like, it's like five and a half minutes, give or take. Uh, oh god you know but then this uh, this part is like so good too i don't know there's there's a part towards the end of the song at like five and a half minutes where it starts getting these choir vocals that are doing the main like melodic motif behind the guitars and it's just so so like epic it's so good yeah that's uh as someone who's only really listened to like the ozzy era of black sabbath stuff and nothing really else like uh that I do like the, the like neoclassical element to it. And it's almost like, not to take away anything from Ozzy, but it's like Ozzy is almost defined by whoever his guitar player is. And I think that... Oh, no, that is oh, absolutely definitely. true. Yeah. After this, he was... After Ozzy, or after Randy died, he got replaced by, I think, the dude that like played guitar for like Rat or something. <laughs> or, hang on, I don't want to misrepresent anything. His name is Jake E. Lee. Oh. Uh, he's best known. Well, on, on uh, Speak of the Maybe Devil, it says, it says Brad Gillis. He played with yeah, the he, he jumped around before he landed on Zach Wilde for a while. Because Zach, Zach Wilde is who his guitarist was for, like, No More Tears and Osmosis. And that's when Ozzy, I think, started pivoting into, like, the more like the chug chugga heavy metal type stuff yeah 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 um because bark at the moon the next album after this jakey lee was like pretty much like a i don't want to take anything away from him and say he implies a bad <laughs> guitarist but as far as the type of guitarist he is it's just like 80s hair metal uh right because like bark at the moon <laughs> had like similar sonic sounds to like i don't know the first song on like the first album but it didn't have that classical vibe and then he jumps around and you get to No More Tears and you have Zach Wilde who is like all about like 
tune down to C guitars and like throwing in a pinch harmonic. So like every riff has like a woo woo and like it. Right. It, it's just a different sound. But I, I totally agree. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because I think it gives a lot of it's like a double edged sword. On one hand, it gives a lot of variety to his sound. There are like Ozzy albums that somebody person A might love and person B doesn't really like. And then you could find another album that like that person does like, you know, uh, so that's cool. But at the same time, you lose like consistency. Right. And I think that outside of the three albums of uh, Blizzard of Oz, Diary of a Madman and No More Tears, I think outside of those three albums, Ozzy's discography is largely kind of hit or miss. Like, I think every album usually has a couple good songs, but nothing is as, like, complete as those to me. Right. Although, I will say that his album, Ordinary Man, that came out this year was really good. That was a very pleasant surprise, because I he hadn't had an album in 10 years since Scream. And I didn't really... Well, I guess he had done some Black Sabbath stuff. Uh, right. But it's for solo album, I should say. But there's songs on, like, Ordinary Man that, like, there's a song called Under the Graveyard, which I think was one of the singles on it um, from earlier this year. And it is, like, the first song to evoke, like, the similar feelings, like, melodically as his first two albums in his entire career. Like, I hadn't, there's, like, parts of that song that hark back to it. And I'm like, oh, my God, this actually, like, does kind of sound like early Ozzy. Like, this is incredible. <laughs> and it, it was such a good it was such a good feeling. Yeah, I'll have to give that a. I'll have to give that a listen. Yeah, the whole I'm album was really solid that. for sure. All right, so as is customary, this is for your spooky album. What rating do you give this? <sighs> you know, <laughs> it sounds like such a cop out, but like for me, this is straight up. You know, I was gonna say a ten out of ten. This is there's eight songs in this album, and I'm just gonna say it's an eight out of eight. Because every single one of these eight songs to me is unskippable. They're all fantastic snapshots of like early 80s peak solo Ozzy Osbourne. If you like like that neo, like you said, like that neoclassical sound, like this, this is it. Blizzard is great. Blizzard had the big singles. Blizzard had Crazy Train. Blizzard had, had, I don't know, had Mr. Crowley. And those are all, I'm not taken away from those, but like every single one of these songs, you've, you've got your actual like kind of hard hitting metal songs and like Over the Mountain and Believer and Little Dolls and Sado, and you've got your ballads and like You Can't Kill Rock and Roll and Tonight, and you've got your like classical influence stuff and Diary of a Madman. Like it's, it's all over the place, but it's all unskippable, awesome, awesome songs. So I got to give it an eight out of eight. Yeah, and it was like rock and roll is my religion and my law. (laughs) That's right. Well, I think it was at the time, you know, it was like Ozzy's kicked out of Black Sabbath. Like, can he do it without, you know, Tony Iommi and those guys? And like these two albums, it seems like uh, sort of solidified his his placement in the lexicon. Yeah, and I think it was back during these days that like the the. The Bathead stuff happened, wasn't it? <laughs> oh yeah, or like yeah. I mean, I can't it? believe we didn't bring that up yet. I mean, <laughs> when was that uh, that documentary, The End of Western Civilization, or or whatever? That's like, I don't know when that came out, but I'm pretty sure there's like a scene of like 
Ozzy just completely zooted, like floating in his pool on like a, an inflatable and like the ladies like trying to talk to him and he's just like, Oh, you know, I just, I it's like it's supposed to be, a, you know, how this like negative influence that Ozzy has on, on. The yeah. Yeah. Like he's well, just some possessed drugged out dude. What was, uh, wasn't there like the, the, was it the night stalker? Was it like, what what's his name? Like something Ramirez. And, and, and that was like, his whole thing was like, uh, you know, suicide solution and like it was ozzy that made me do all this oh yeah no yeah they they had they you're right they had a lawsuit i think because like some they thought that suicide solution was like promoting like the absolute bare bones amount of effort that went into this lawsuit because they see the name of the song as suicide solution and they think that it's him like no it's a song about alcoholism like (laughs) solution like a liquid i guess you know like it is him talking about how much like it messed him up and yeah no it's well i say messed like past tense as if he wasn't drunk off his ass but (laughs) i think he was slightly less so than before sharon like whipped him into shape and they did his first solo album but yeah no the the bat biting incident happened on the tour for this album it uh it happened in january 82 when he uh <laughs> he didn't think that the bat was real until he bit the head off oh, and he thought God. it was like some rubber bat somebody threw on stage and he's like oh, all right well let's do this and quickly <laughs> realized that was not the case and if i remember correctly he talked about it afterwards where they were just like you know we could say that this was an accident but look at the press we're getting <laughs> like all these teenagers think that this is the most metal thing that they've ever heard of. This is fantastic. So they just, you know, I was I was looking up a news article to confirm the date, and on the on the like thirty seventh anniversary of it, they released like a p- little plushy bat with a detachable head. Oh my god! Of <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Yeah, I, I man, that's that's such a good snapshot into like a a weird period of American life because like again to make the to get the hat trick, dude. It the, was like the, the Tipper Gore America, pretty the much, Beetlejuice right? Beetlejuice of Frank Zappa, hearkening his name a third time. Yeah, the the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center, and like uh, it was actually Prince that was the main offender, but. Uh, Frank Zappa, you know, historically, like, spoke to... Uh, Frank, it was, like, D. Snyder and uh, Bob Denver all spoke. Didn't D. Snyder, like, show up in his Twisted Sister get-up? Like, in the makeup? No, in... he didn't. No? Ah, maybe no. I'm thinking of somebody else. But I, I remember people didn't think that the guy from Twisted... Or, yeah, D. Snyder, they didn't think he was going to be as articulate as he was, which was funny. But yeah, no, Frank showed up in like, you know, with suit and a tie and all that. But yeah, that that is funny, you know, like when Ozzy Osbourne songs were like the worst thing that could happen to like American children. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a, it was Oh, no. No, time. yeah. I I just found a video. There's it's D Snyder at a PMRC hearing in full Twisted Sister. Well, okay. I guess he's not in makeup, but he's in a like sleeves torn off, like whatever, oh, okay, with his yeah. hair like not tied up or anything. Oh, so okay, okay. Yeah. It, it's like half, it's like half and half, I guess. Ben, Ben, you wouldn't remember this, but this is that's how we all dressed back then, dude. That, <laughs> dude, bring it back. I'm just kidding. I was a little kid. <laughs> Man, 
Oh, Tipper Gore. Oh, there's a great picture of Frank and D. Snyder standing next to each other holding their statements. We've reached that point now where we... We're going to uh, zip forward into the 2000s. Yeah, yeah so... Uh, uh, and a band that I've never heard of that uh, I was pleasantly surprised with. Uh, ben C. No, Ben D. Uh, ben D. What up? What have you got for us for your spooky Halloween album choice? So <clears throat> what I selected, as uh, faithful listeners will recall, was The Shadow Out of Tim by the Darkest of the Hillside Thickets from 2007. Um, this is a, an album that I discovered on Spotify, which is how I discover a lot of things that i like apparently because they just tell me what i what i like i'm like oh yeah i do like that you're right all trust the algorithm right it's a pretty good algorithm, algorithm. <laughs> it, it's it's introduced me to some of my favorite shit um so what drew me to this was i was going like scrolling through i don't know whatever they were it was like you know you liked this so maybe you'll like that and i saw the album cover and I don't know if you guys have checked that out, but it spoke to me in just so many ways. There's this like old paperback novel on the cover with just great old like sci-fi e seventies font and a, a guy with his face being ripped apart and these like weird tentacle things coming out. Oh yeah, and then oh, yeah. and that's on top of a desk which also has a map and a compass and a pencil and some mysterious pills and a little pill thing. And I was like, <laughs> all of this, all of this, I want to hear it. And then I listened to it and it, and I really liked it. And I've, it was my lawn mowing album for quite a while. <laughs> you gotta oh, have a good lawn God. mowing album. <clears throat> that yeah. is the most dad <laughs> sentence that I have ever heard. Ba- back, back before I was a divorced dad, when I had a lawn, this is what I would listen to. <laughs> oh no. Uh. Yeah, no, this this album cover definitely harkens to the 70s, and I feel like it, it fits perfectly with like the other albums that we've talked about, even though it is from 2007. So this, this album is a bit of a concept album. It's like loosely based on a, a H.P. Lovecraft story called The Shadow Out of Time, um, which I've never read and I don't know anything about, but... <laughs> Um, there, this evokes a lot of, and that's sort of like the darkest of the hillsides thickets is they, they evoke Lovecraftian imagery and, um, they're, they're just a fun time. I, I've, I've never seen them live. Uh, you know, I know very little about them other than they're, they're from Canada and sometimes they wear like Cthulhu outfits or whatever. Um, and, uh, I don't know. Let's listen to a track. Yeah. How about uh, how about uh, a marine biologist? The uh, the first thing that I thought of when I heard this was that it reminded me a lot of like Wolf Mother, yeah, like mid two thousands classic rock vibe. I I was feeling clutch when I first heard it, but yeah. I think I need to give clutch until the singing shot. started happening.
That was a very like Queens of the Stone Age transition. Yeah, I think I think also just like how the vocals are mixed there. They're like right in the center. They're like double tracked. There's not any reverb on them. They sound really close. And I think that yeah, Queens does that a lot. So this this feels like the synthesis of like both artists that we've talked about previously. Mm-hmm. Like it's got the sort of like Ozzy chugging riffs, but then like the the like theatrical nerdy lyrics of like Alice Cooper. I don't know. This is Oh yeah. I don't I don't I'm not a big lyrics guy. Um but uh, one thing that really grabbed me out uh, gra- grabbed me out uh <laughs> grabbed me i don't know what that means yeah (laughs) i don't think it's appropriate for me to ask on the podcast oh man yeah check it out uh urban dictionary it's cool um (laughs) i'm sure everyone would love it um so what really grabbed me about this track was i was just like you know jamming out at my desk at work or whatever and there's a there's a line right after you cut just now where this is like and you can publish your findings in a peer-reviewed journal and i was like oh yeah other nerds i like this (laughs) (laughs) yeah just reading about this band and like their history i was like hmm would you say that these guys are uh, a little nerdy yes (laughs) you can a little you can you i mean yeah it's it's like D &D the band it's great only something this nerdy could come out of chilliwack british columbia (laughs) Yeah, uh, no, you can, this you is definitely find... nerdy. I don't know if I'd call it as nerdy as, like, I don't know. What's another nerdy band? Mountain Goats? They're pretty nerdy. Yeah, but... these guys, I feel like these guys wear it on their sleeves a little bit more. Yeah. And I, I didn't I didn't listen to any of their other albums Yeah, I probably will check one or two of them out at some point, but... Um... <clears throat> You can check out a lot. Of, they have a lot of live shows that are old on YouTube. Some good stuff there. Yeah, they're from 1992. Um, I didn't know they. I, I was like surprised that they've been around for that long. Yeah, they're living the dream. I don't want you to refer to anything from 1992 as having been around that long. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I know, right? 92 seems like yesterday to me. She was. Uh, I was like a year old. I was probably, uh, I don't know, drooling. I guess. <laughs> I was. I was incubating. <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I can um, absolutely see this being like a good uh, spooky Halloween time. I mean, any any album that deals with like Cthulhu and like that sort of Lovecraftian horror. Yeah, songs like Cultists on Board. <laughs> or ride the flying polyp. Oh God! Sleestack and Yeti. Or I mean, particularly like Nearlethotep. That's that sounds like straight out of uh, Lovecraft. But yeah. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I want to listen to all of them, but I think. Uh, Another good one is Operation Get the Hell Out of Here. (laughs) I like it. It's kind of got, I mean, again, it's kind of got like that Zappa-esque, like irreverent vocal style, like 
almost like, hey, I'm a swing guy, like that. I don't know, like Richard Cheese or something like that. You think? A little bit. It, it's yeah. got that uh, very like showman-like vocal style where it's not like taking itself too seriously. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that they're taking themselves too seriously. <laughs> um, and I think that's this is like when you listen to it, it's not necessarily like, "Wow, this is creepy sounding music." But you know, it's it's like Lovecraft liked his horror, nameless and indescribable, <laughs> which is kind of like this band. They're yeah. all over the place. They're all, yes, they are all over the place, and I think that's a good segue into Nyarlathotep because I think that's that's a good sort of uh, like shows like what is this? We get in that minor second, Ooh. almost like this like Middle Eastern vibe. I forget what that scale's called. Is this French? Almost sounds French. This is when they bring forth the unspeakable horror deity near Lethotep. <laughs> I think the, uh, the the Persian scale is what I was actually thinking of. That's what it's called. Yeah, that sounds about right. It has the like minor second and major third. It's like the big like thing about it. Yeah, it's definitely got that exotic sort of quality about it like mysticism and spookiness and stuff nope mm-hmm. I was wrong double harmonic that's <laughs> what it's called okay there's <laughs> only like a difference of one note between the two but <laughs> that's an important note either way that's what gives it that vibe especially in those like panned guitars that kind of would play that little riff at the end of like every couple bars yeah yeah yeah, so it's I, I, I really dig the imagery that is brought forth um, by the darkest of the hillside thickets in this record, and I think that all of our listeners should give it a shot and take take some white and uh, pills of differing sizes and also maybe some red pills. We are telling our maybe. audience to take the red pill. <laughs> is is the red pill the good one or the bad no, one? I don't remember. The good, that's the bad one. It's not the good uh. one. Don't okay. Don't 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 take the red pill. But you know, it's good to have them in case you need them. I guess if the pill coincidentally is red, you know that's fine. But don't take the. I mean, on the R cover, it pill. looks like. It looks like Motrin on the cover yeah. of the album. I, I gotta say, find some uh, ibuprofen and then uh, put this album on, and just see where it takes you. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, get all whacked out on on the ibuprofen. <laughs> Kids these days, they're ibuprofen. Oh man, like eight hundred milligrams. Get out of here. <laughs> when your stomach lining hurts, that means it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you should eat before you take ibuprofen. And it doesn't say that on the, on the back of the album cover, but it's 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 what my mom always told me, and she was a nurse. So, yeah, my mom loves pushing ibuprofen um, on me. <laughs> <laughs> right? What what's the matter? I have like a broken uh, arm, and she's like, "Will you take you ibuprofen?" Hurt. Ibuprofen? Yeah. Did, you, did your girlfriend break up with you? Uh, ibuprofen. <laughs> 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 Um, so, uh, 
I guess I would give this 666 shadows out of Tim. Oh, nice. Oh, that was good. Yeah. Out of how <laughs> many? Hang on. Out of out Tim. Of Tim. Oh, I thought I thought the, the shadows out of Tim were the unit of measurement. No, and the shadows is. are the unit. <laughs> <laughs> out out of out of Tim, which is a it's a constant. You can't think about it too hard. Mm-mm. No, <laughs> I I don't I don't math is beyond me. I I'm I'm trying not to think about it too hard. We were just talking about Ozzy, so my brain is. My brain is currently thinking in right now. <laughs> thinking oh. in units of Sharon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I can't yell that loud right now, but yeah, if right. I could. <laughs> cool. Well, I want to thank you guys for hanging How out. How weird is it that Ozzy pivoted into reality TV? You know, it. you wouldn't think that it would work, but it strangely... It strangely does. I, I just I didn't think there'd be enough interest in the man. Like, like uh, people know Iron Man and they know like Black Sabbath, but it was kind of weird that like he became this sort of household name. I mean, I guess that's what reality TV does. That's true. Well, and Kelly and Jack were always up to those shenanigans. You know, right. I remember one episode where Jack was really excited that the McRib was back. And- <laughs> Kelly was upset with him for even caring about the McRib. It was, it was a great show. Yeah, and then fun like, for the whole family. And then like what Kelly was on uh, the View for a while. I think she. Oh, I was gonna say she was. I think Sharon is Sharon still. No, I don't think any. Sharon's of got her own show or had her own show at least. Yeah, they they sort of turned their whole family into a media franchise. Sometimes to the detriment of Ozzy's personal and professional life. True. He's doing all right. Yeah. I'm not I don't, I don't feel that. too bad for him professionally anyway. Okay. Spooky Halloween Spectacular 3. Yeah, we did In it. In a can. We did it. You know, yeah. the thing that sucks is like there are so many other albums that would like also be cool to talk about, but we have to pick like three. Yeah, it does suck. Maybe, like, maybe one of the things that we should do is we should, if we can think of any others that we think are worth worth uh, taking a listen to while you're still wanting to do the spooky vibes <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know why i like classic rock um, lens itself so Carly well. ray jepson's latest album oh shots fired um <laughs> i guess any sort of like heavy music works you could probably find some like primus music that's that'll that'll spook you a little bit I uh, I mean I guess going back to what I talked to like like Danzig's first album like I mean one of the only reasons I didn't I didn't pick that was just because uh, I mean Ozzy's album has a little bit more variety it's a little bit more well known the Danzig album as much as I love it it is a little samey I mean you you are what you it is what it is it's a lot of just kind of like groovy kind of classic metal I mean everybody knows the song Mother that's on this album yeah. Uh, but it's like, do you want to hear like heavy metal Elvis? I mean, that's that's what it is, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but it's a super good album. It's good the whole way through. It's just it's it's kind of the same the whole way through, you know. Yeah, if you can, I don't know, I don't know. Does does, does Spotify do any of that kind of stuff? Like they'll recommend like a holla. I don't know. Someone someone made a Halloween playlist. I'm gonna just totally steal that. 
Oh, that's Queens of the, I mean, Queens of the Stone Age. I guess that, that would work. If you're at like a a socially distanced Halloween party this year. Some stuff to put on. I guess Thriller by Michael Jackson would be not too bad. No, that's that's a that's a pretty good one. Yeah, anything that has Vincent Price on it, probably. Yeah, honestly. Uh, you mean like Welcome to My Nightmare? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> we didn't talk about that, but he, uh, yeah, he totally is on that. I forget what song. Is it The Black Widow or uh, Devil's Food? I think it's like it's the Devil's tr- Food. It's like the transition between, because he's like talking about The Black Widow and like, you know, one, once she finds a mate, she eats The him. Black Widow. We're all humanary stew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just thought of the perfect, I might, oh man, I kind of want to use this as the outro music now, but, but it's not on any of the albums that we talked about. Uh, there's dude, a, dude, no rules. Halloween. Screw it. Okay. Let's go. Yeah. I think this is a perfect, perfect Halloween song. <laughs> ah! Oh man. Ah. <laughs> this is absolutely a perfect Halloween song. Like this is my karaoke go-to. Oh my god! <laughs> I, it, it says on the little screen the oohs and the ahs and the screams and the moans and all that. A little album called Zuta Lures. Rock and teenage yeah. combo. It's not my favorite Zappa album, but <laughs> I mean this song became a live staple of uh, of Frank. Like I'm pretty sure, like uh, there's he because he did. I mean Halloween concerts was a big thing for Frank, and yep. like I think this song he did. You know he closed every night with it. <laughs> I think I remember my dad showing me this song for the first time and having to like keep it hushed. So, like my mom wouldn't hear all of like the just <laughs> orgasmic torturous moaning <laughs> don't tell your mom today you become a man oh my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Zuda Lures. Go listen to Zuda Lures. That's another good, like, sit around the room. Uh, I always novel. land on I always land on uh, Roxy and Elsewhere and Overnight Sensation. Yeah. Those aren't bad albums. Overnight Sensation has the first Zappa song that I ever heard. You want to take a guess? Uh, Inca Roads? Inca Roads. Zombie Wolf. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. Say that again? Zombie Wolf on what album? It's on Overnight Sensation. Isn't yeah, you're right. Why well, don't I don't I don't know why I thought you were talking about One Size Fits All. Yeah, yeah, Zombie Wolf on uh, Overnight. I feel like yeah, Zombie I, Wolf I, is just like the epitome of just like the weird Zappa sound because it's it starts off with like the cool like pentatonic riff yeah. right at the start and then it does the weird descending like weird Zappa thing. Yeah, and it's got that. Uh, that wild man that they found on the street to like do the lead vocals is like ah, <laughs> yeah I love it it's so good how did we both say Inca Rhodes <laughs> yeah 
Yeah, I don't know why we were. How did we both get that wrong at the same? And that's, time? that's not even on that album. No, no, it's not. Because uh, for some reason, I thought you said one size fits all, but you said overnight. Yeah, sensation. me too. That's weird. That that's spooky. Spooky. I know. <laughs> we both made the same mistake. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> oh, well, I man. guess I mean that is the first song on that album. So if it was that album, that would have been a good right. guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So All right, maybe well. maybe pump the brakes on the spooky. You both made a logical <laughs> guess. <laughs> Coincidence. Spooky. Okay. Ooh. Oh man. Well, yeah. Another Halloween episode in the bag. Uh, thanks to Ben and Ben for coming and hanging out and talking about some spooky music. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having us. Yep. I'm hoping to have this one out on Halloween. So you know, gather around with your friends and uh, listen to us well. ramble about some music. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. You really painted yourself in a corner with uh, that opening monologue. (laughs) 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 All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We will see you on side B. (laughs) 